All right, we are back with another preview episode, this time the 2024 Black Canyon 100K, which is going to be an absolute barn burner. But before we get to that, we haven't talked on air since the Javelina 100. So starting with you, Leah, what is up in your world and what's on the horizon? I went back to work and that's Ooh. pretty sad. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, just learning how to balance all of that stuff all over again. So lots of 7 p.m. running because I don't know how to be a morning person. So living that life, trying to train for a six-day race in March and uh, trying to get ready to compete against Brett at the Black Canyon 60K. Oh, that's going to be such a good one. <laughs> I'm so glad it's live streamed. <laughs> Who's taking that one? What, what are the odds makers saying right now? Oh, Brett's got me good. I don't know. We'll see. I'm Leah, you tend to do better with like suboptimal lead ups to the race and then still having a good race and us both being on course for the entire day, the day before our races is actually probably going to benefit you way more than me. I know it's, it's a, I feel like I'm kind of used to that, but and I'm I do bring have a course chair. I know. I've been thinking a lot about that. I was like, I need to be seated for all of the live stream. Yep. We've got our priorities straight. <laughs> maybe maybe the Jeff Colt strategy of standing all day will pay off though. Who knows? That's true. <laughs> what's up with you, Brett? Oh, what's going on? Um, dude, Black Canyon 60K. Like this is my Super Bowl. Coincidentally, <laughs> it's on the day of the Super Bowl. So um, yeah, ready, ready to throw down there. Um, yeah. What else we got getting ready for, uh, for fatherhood. That's going to be, it's going to be a good one. So <laughs> no, no races other than black Canyon 60 K on the horizon for me as I prepare for my sadatical. Getting ready to raise a sub two twenty marathon or maybe it could happen. You know, that's, that's totally their choice. I'm not going to push it on them. Well, as we always do, I think it's important to kick off the preview with just notable observations, comments about what the course is looking like this year, any changes with aid stations, routing, stuff like that. Brett, what stands out to you uh, in this department this year? Uh, well, there's two things. The first, you know, I always love to talk about the weather, as you know, and, you know, we're recording this, you know, like what, 10 days out from the race or nine days out from the race. So it's probably still kind of too far of an extended forecast, but we're looking at like four or five days of rain slash showers and cooler temps leading up to the race, which is kind of unique. I mean, it's happened in a, a couple occasions, but those years, I think it was like what, 2017 and 2019. Um, yeah. Those also forced an alternate course because the, the water levels through the rivers were pretty high. The water levels through the rivers are pretty low this year. So it sounds like unless for some reason it rains a lot, they're still going to get to run the regular course, but it might just be cooler. And, um, you know, I was texting Jamil asking him like what the mud situation's like. And he said it oftentimes can get a little muddy with rain up on the top, you know, third of the course higher up. But once you start to descend after like mile 15, 20, it gets a little more gravelly and a little more rocky and that actually drains pretty well. So it doesn't really sound like it's going to be, you know, like a slop fest or anything. Um, so who knows? I mean, we might just see some fast time. So all those coming from, you know, winter up in uh, the mountains might, might luck out. The last couple of years have been markedly different. It's been, you know, sunshine, 
dry trails, hot course. If anyone out there wants to visualize what 24 could look like, there's a film. I'm not sure if it's on the Mountain Outpost or the Runs Deep Get High channel, but it's covering the front of the race back in 2017. I think when Eric Sensman and Alex Nichols and mm-hmm. maybe it was Elav Olsen were battling it out for a golden ticket. And then I think Claire Gallagher on the women's side snagged one that year too. Claire's running in like total rain gear. It's sloppy. It's cold. You know, you can see them shivering on a desert course. It's wild. So yeah, actually, and Leah, maybe I want to throw this to you. One of the, one of the questions that was posed, uh, it was either on Twitter or Instagram. What happens to race tactics at Black Canyon if this weather holds? Like if you're in the shoes of some of the runners lining up on race day, how does this change things for you? How do you approach things differently? Yeah, I feel like a lot of the athletes prepare for this race to be hot and to be desert weather. Most of these athletes are coming from the Mountain West and they've been in the sauna. Um, I think the sauna is always beneficial for training and for adaptations regardless, but I think it changes mindset a lot. Um, I think there's some people out there who might be banking on carnage a little bit more and banking on some people going out hot and suffering for it later. I do think conditions make it tough when it's sloppy like this, but perhaps there might not be as much carnage from heat after mile 50 like there typically is. Mm. I got a question. Do you think um, like for cooler weather, uh, it almost forces everyone to race a little bit more aggressively because in the heat, you know, there's always going to be a few that race aggressive and you can kind of sit back, let them go. Oftentimes you're going to catch back up to them in a cooler race like this. You're like, gosh, there's a much higher chance they don't ever come back. So then you're just kind of forced to go out with them. I think um, so. Are yeah. we, we going to see a classic carnage race then this year if, if we get cooler weather? Or are we just going to see, again, like people not dying and just everyone runs stupid fast? I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, there's just a lot of super fit people on this line. And for the sake of raising their heart rates and staying as warm as possible, faster running may be necessary just just to survive out there in the morning hours. <laughs> I feel like we're really playing up this weather to be a lot gnarlier than it's probably going to be. It's going to be really pleasant. We got to build some drama. We got to sensationalize this. I mean, I've been checking it every day and the storm seems to be moving up. So now by like Sunday, it's actually looking sunny and very pleasant. So the 60K conditions are looking downright wonderful. But maybe the 100K might get that too if we check back in a, a few more days. Is it there's is there a significant aid station change this year too or crew access point? Yeah, that was the other, the other biggie. Um, so one of the most pivotal crew access spots of the course had always been at Black Canyon City, which was mile 37. That is no longer a crew accessible aid station. The aid station is still there, but there won't be any crew allowed. And instead, the crewable spot is at the previous aid station, which is now... Uh, called Deep Canyon Ranch, and it's in a slightly different spot than the the like 50k-ish aid station last year. So now you will be able to crew your runner like mile 19, 32, and then 51. So the between that second and third crew spot, it, it gains you know six miles. So that's I don't know. That seems kind of major to me, especially at the very front of the race. What do you think? I think that sounds major, um, specifically for the people who don't have a lot of longer distance uh, races. 
So I think that big difference could play in the hands of people who have raced 100K, raced 100 milers, are kind of used to um, having to go a while without aid, without crew. Um, maybe for some of these newbies to the distance, uh, that could be a little damaging. Yeah, because if you're not familiar with frantically actually grabbing things from the two aid stations that are in between your crew spot and you just skip things, yeah, we might see some even, we always seen big blowups from Black Canyon City to Table Mesa, but uh, we might see even bigger blowups now that it's from Deep Canyon to Table Mesa. Quick break to thank Knack for supporting the show. Knack is the official nutrition partner of Singletrack, and you've heard me talk a lot about their mission, their products, and why I'm into what they're doing. But one thing I haven't talked a lot about that I'm pretty excited on are their race-specific nutrition quizzes. Uh, these exist on their website, and you know, with races like the Black Canyon 100K on the near horizon, you can take these quizzes, enter all your relevant information like height, weight, sweat rate, race day goals, and it formulates a nutrition plan right down to the precise aid stations on each of these courses. It's awesome. Go check it out for yourself at knack.com. And while you're there, if you end up buying some product, feel free to use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout for 15% off your next order. One question I have is whether whether the weather, whether the weather impacts or influences the type of runner that is capable of winning this race. So if we do see a dramatic change from, you know, sun, heat, dry trails over to the mud, cold, rain, wind, etc. Does that open up opportunities for different types of runners, maybe like more strength-based runners to have a great day here? I'd say yes and no. I think when you look at history at Black Canyon, we've seen success across the board of all types of runners from all locations. So last year, for example, we saw Anthony Costales, Tom Evans, Cole Watson kind of be in that podium spots for the men, kind of reigning from different parts of the world. Um, same with women like Keely Henninger from Pacific Northwest, used to training in a lot of mud. Heather Jackson, not used to a ton of trail, uh, trail running at that time, but training in Bend and then Arizona. Um, I think historically we might think of Black Canyon as a course that favors locals, favors people who often get to yeah. train in the desert. Um, maybe a little bit of weather like this will make it a bit more equalizer for some of our East Coast friends that are coming out for the race. Um, I think a especially on the men's side, we have um, a few coming from the East Coast who are training in some pretty rough winter conditions right now. So maybe mm. they'll be used to some slop. Yeah. I mean, one of the most interesting things of this course, kind of regardless of the weather, I mean, we see this, whether it's hot or cold, is how you have to be weirdly good at clicking off some pretty fast miles in the first half, but then you have to be like that like mountainous hundred miler grittiness in the second half. Cause even though the whole course is runnable and you know, those who are winning the races on the men's and women's side, they're probably running every single step. Like so much of the climbing is in the second half of the race that you all of a sudden have to have like kind of hardened mountain legs to succeed. But if you're only good at that, you're not going to, you're going to, you know, leave too much time on the table in the first half. So you have to have this weird, uh, you know, combination of decent leg speed and then be able to like just be gritty at the end. I think one of the best examples of that was, was Keely last year uh, and just mm -hmm. the way that she ran the race. And 
kind of displayed both of those skill sets really evenly, which kind of makes us such a nice litmus test for Western states. Um, this is probably not necessarily along the lines of like course and weather, but I think um, around the race itself, we're seeing what I think is a little bit more of an international uh, presence of athletes this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with it becoming part of the world trail majors. Yeah. Um, I think it's the second race so far in the series early season, which is kind of nice for those athletes who are targeting the majors because perhaps they can target an early season one and maybe they can target something late in the season, like ultra trail Cape town. Um, so I think for an entrance list that is as of today, 1011 entrance <laughs> deep, um, <laughs> Like there's a lot of people in this race. So a lot of people that could then have the potential to be competitive in the world trail majors series at the end of the year. That is a great point. I'm, I'll also be really curious to track the buy-in over the course of the rest of the year into this, uh, series. Um, we should also talk about the live stream that's going to happen. I know both of you are a part of it on race day, Brett, what can you share that may or may not be new this year or rolled over from last year's, uh, presentation? So... Yeah, we're still gonna get we're still getting briefed on kind of all the final instructions, but sounds like as of right now, Leah and I will be leapfrogging each other on the course, uh, doing course commentary. So I have to try and do my my best Leah impression out there. Which now that I'm like out of the comfort of the studio, I'm getting really nervous because being able to ID runners that quickly uh, is definitely like a Leah superpower because yeah. like I'm like oh yeah I can ID the runners but like I get to watch them on drones and stuff coming in like I got a solid like 30 seconds to like stand there and think before they come in so now I'm really I'm just getting thrown thrown into the battlefield and I'm I'm, I'm excited to to be out there and get to experience it but it's gonna be a lot of fun and I think one of the biggest things for the live stream is um, that the whole studio is gonna be right at the finish line this year mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, hopefully that, that means for some more entertaining, like post-race just interviews with everyone being there and kind of hanging out and, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be a good one. It's what, what Black Canyon live stream has not been awesome. Yeah. I love that finish line studio. And I think one thing I'm excited to see built out even more is that like mixed zone style of content that you see in track and field and maybe getting more interview content at the finish line and the athletes get a chance to kind of sit down, maybe eat a piece of pizza, rehydrate, talk some more, reflect. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun for the fans at home. Lying in a cot, throwing up into a bucket. (laughs) I'm just shoving a microphone in your face, (laughs) making you tell me about all the carnage out there. Yeah. It's going to be good. Live (laughs) from drug testing. It's Brett Hornig. We got, we got to do it. We got to do it. We're slinging tent out there. Yeah. Um, Leah, any, any thoughts on this year's media coverage and, uh, what you're excited about? Yeah. Uh, gosh, last year was awesome. It was chaotic. We were like hopping around to as many spots as we could possibly get to and failing and flailing along the way. Um, I feel like we worked out a lot of kinks throughout the day and I'm really excited to like have some of my like stationary spots this year. So I'm going to be at, I think the start, uh, hidden treasure at mile, right, right around the half marathon mark. Um, Gloriana right around mile 24 and then table Mesa at mile 50. Um, mm. 
last year, I don't know if I'll be able to get to Table Mesa for the whole, uh, all the men coming through, but I remember last year Table Mesa was my absolute favorite spot to watch the women's race unfold because there's so much action happening. And I think we'll see something very similar this year. So um, if you're going to be out there spectating, Table Mesa is the place to be. And I just think it's such a pivotal part of the race and just so much going on there. Do you see that as one of the major cruxes of the race too? Like, were there a lot of lead or position changes there last year? There was. Like, I'm just thinking specifically about the women's field because that's what I was largely involved with last year. And I'm pretty sure we saw Eden Nielsen come in. Uh, maybe like, it was like Heather Jackson and Keeley come in kind of together, but maybe Ida was in that mix too. And then we had like Anna Cassius and Meg Morgan and Shay right behind Ida. And just, it was like when all that scooping up happened was right in that you know, two miles after Table Mesa. So you could just tell there was a lot that was about to happen even through that aid station. I just remember like turning my back, somebody would come through, I'd be like, oh my God, it's another woman. And (laughs) just doing that for like 10 minutes straight. So it was awesome. And I think we saw last year, Black Canyon's top 10 women were like the fastest they've ever been. And that just made for like a really dynamic, especially like third through 10th positions, not much time split, um, split many of those women up. I've got three categories of stats that I want to share from our friend and partner aid station fireball, who, by the way, if you're a listener or a viewer out there, go give him a follow on Twitter, donate to his Patreon because of these stats that we're about to recite and comment on. But there's three categories. I've kind of self categorized them. The first one is around the evolution of this race and friend of the podcast, Mike McMonagall said something, I think in an Instagram post shortly after last year's race, where he basically said, being out there photographing the event, witnessing it firsthand, he felt like he saw a watershed moment of professionalism in the sport, just based on the performances, how the race was conducted, how things played out. And the stats kind of bear it out. Both fields, Leah, you were talking about the women's field there. Both fields saw the fastest median finishing time for a top 10 finisher last year. And we've basically gotten to the point where if you want to be in golden ticket contention on the men's side, you have to expect to run sub eight hours on the women's side, sub nine fifteen. Of course, a lot of this stuff is weather course conditions dependent, but that's the way it's been trending on a normal year in the past three to four years. When you hear sort of like these stats recited, Brett, what comes to mind for you? I'm I'm just looking at them right now as you were kind of talking over it. And I didn't realize how massive of a jump in just sort of the average times uh, in the top 10 on the women's side from any year to last year. Like the average time got, the average top 10 got 40, 40 minutes faster than the year before which was right about equal to the previous, you know, faster time. And, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier is you, you can't really bank on people blowing up anymore because mm. there's, you know, I mean, we all went through the start list and try, we're, you know, we're going to try our best at a, making a top five pick here, but on like both sides, there's probably 30 men and 30 women who are fit enough to be in the top mm. five, but then it, really comes down to the the factors outside of your fitness like the actual race day decisions like who is actually going to continue 
eating a hundred grams of carbs an hour into the, <laughs> into the seventh, eighth, ninth hour of the race, who's going to, you know, not push too hard at, on the climb out of table Mesa or out of black Canyon city. It's going to be like little tiny details that are going to make or break the race and determine the difference between like first or, you know, eighth place. And, you know, kind of what you said to Finn, where it's like, or I guess what Mike said, where that just comes down to like the, the more professional you are in regards to your whole buildup and the race, the more success you're probably going to have. You like, is the true heart Brown era over? Where like someone, someone comes in and just like goes out hard. People let them go, stays Mm -hmm. off the front. Like we're holding, like he's holding a plastic handheld. Like he did, he did it old school. Will we see that anymore? I mean, we're even in, yeah, we're seeing this from the, we're hearing this, I should say from the athletes themselves. Like we had Zach Miller on the show, uh, a few weeks ago and we were kind of, reflecting reminiscing on the 2017 utmb and like one of the first things zach said was you know that version of me i don't even recognize anymore that's like a such an inferior version of myself the sport was so different back then like you could barely crack 22 hours at that race and either be on the podium or win and like not only is not only should we question like is the true heart brown era over but like is is the current version of professional athletes in the sport vastly different than even the version that existed like three or four years ago in 2019, let alone, you know, the random ballers and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we had this discussion before we hit record and I'm going to echo it right now. Like this entrance list is the deepest for, I think a domestic race that we've covered ever. Like I actually think this is deeper than some of the Western States competitors that we've seen over the years. Um, Maybe not the top end talent, but maybe also kind of the top end talent as well, but definitely deep. Um, I mentioned there's a little bit of international competition coming to this race, but from like a North American perspective, I can't get over just the athletes and how they're training these days. So just going through and, um, going through like let's say for the women's field for example I feel like even this time last year it was pretty easy to separate what we would consider like world class or national class apart from you know this other class of like sub elite maybe right about to like make their big break the women's training that I'm seeing everybody is doing extremely extremely great training for these races so it's so hard to kind of pick and choose who's going to be the fittest on race day because everybody's just putting a great effort out there. And I think it's going to get harder and harder to predict. um, Yeah. Who's going to come away with podium spot from these races. I joked on Instagram earlier today that we need to hire an oceanographer because the depth (laughs) is so deep. Like we're talking like Marianas trench levels of depth here at black Canyon. Uh, Unseen before this is, there is no precedent. This is insane. Somebody needs to take your Instagram away from you. <laughs> I'm glad that we now finally have, um, we have like an image that we can put with the depth is deep quote of maybe just like a profile line of the Marianas Trench, <laughs> like the Titanic sinking down it with it saying like the depth is deep on it. 
<laughs> oh, Eric Lupuma, I know you're not going to listen to this before the race, but maybe if you listen to it for some reason after the race, can you please make us up, mock us up a logo of that? Thank you. <laughs> All right. The next category of stats is whether or not Black Canyon is a reliable predictor of success, relative success at Western. Two stats here. Black Canyon has given golden tickets to five people who went on to podium at Western, which is the most of any golden ticket race since 2016. That list include Anthony Costales, Amy Sproston, Tyler Green, Casey Lichtig, Alex Nichols. And then of all the golden ticket winners at this race since 2016, 81% have gone on to finish no lower than 13th place in their follow-up Western. So really Hmm. solid consistency. No outright winners directly from this race, but amazing consistency and high level performance. Does that surprise you guys at all? Um, you know, I think something that was interesting when I was glancing at those two was a uh, two stats. Like I felt like the, there was a difference between men and women performances at Western States from black Canyon. I almost felt like the men seemed to have better Western States performances than the women did who were uh, golden ticket winners from yeah. here. Um, I don't know why that would be. Um, but that was like a pretty interesting stat that I saw, but I will say correlating any success at black Canyon to Western States. I think it makes sense. Um, black Canyon starts out with a 20 mile slight downhill. Um, and then you have to get pretty gritty for the last 40 miles, um, on these like punchy rolling gravelly rocky, uh, terrain. And you kind of have to go from your runnable legs into your more just like resilient mountain legs to some degree. I know it's not truly mountain running, but there are hills. Um, and I think Western States is kind of similar. You start with, um, only well, start with kind of, it's almost the opposite, but I think that, that type of runner, you need to show both skill sets at Black Canyon and you also need to show both skill sets at Western States. So I'm not really surprised that um, these runners have had success. I also think the timing of the season is mm. extremely nice. Like yeah. February to June, it kind of mm-hmm. sets you up really well. Yeah, you get, you actually have time to put in, like you get to fully peak a race, Black Canyon, rest, full build for Western states where, you know, we've seen people have success after, you know, Lake Sonoma, Canyons, 100K. Um, but it's definitely a luxury to have the time to dedicate towards like more Western state specific training. Another variable, Leah, that I think helps with like that Black Canyon has that Western states also has is in most years is the heat element as well. Um, totally. whereas, you know, if you, if you're able to, you know, race well and, you know, 70 degrees isn't as hot as Western States, but 70 degrees in yeah. February is pretty hot feeling. Yeah. Um, so when you're able to manage that, that's just another thing. It's like, okay, you check that box for then for Western States. Something that also came to mind kind of unrelated to this Western States success, but it's kind of related to Western States is I talked about the 1011 entrance that we're seeing this year. I think Something that's adding to the competition at Black Canyon this year is the fact that Bandera 100K was not a golden ticket race this year. So we used Mm. to get kind of the splitting of competition. Black Canyon, I mean, Bandera was historically a little less competitive than Black Canyon for the last couple of years, but like it would take away some competition. This year, the only things that would have taken away competition in golden ticket races in theory was like Havelina back in October. So I think we're seeing a lot of these like, athletes who are training through the winter, this is the race that they're choosing. That's a great mm-hmm. point. I mean, in as as late as 2019, 
there were five golden ticket races in succession, you know, Bandera, Black Canyon, Georgia Death Race, Lake Sonoma, Canyons. So yeah, the consolidation here as a result of just stuff spread out through the year. That's a great point. Last stat line here is just talking about the general competitiveness of the race and how much you have to be in it, like really from start to finish, which we've talked about almost ad nauseum in our last like three to four preview episodes. But holy shit, this race is toit like a toiger, as gold <laughs> member would say. <laughs> the men's race has had the podium separated by less than 10 minutes in three of the last four years. And on the women's side, it's been separated by uh, less than 10 minutes in two of the last four. That's wild to me. Like there's that tell, like there are, there's a chance that, you know, two Saturdays from now, Saturday from now, we're seeing like, you know, true racing in the last five to 10 K of this race among podium and golden ticket contenders. Does, I mean, that probably doesn't, but does, what do you guys think about that? Does it surprise you? Mm, I mean, that's that's just like that's the way that's the way ultra running is going. I mean, we we saw it last year with how long it took to figure out who is going to win the race. You know, on the women's side, it took f- fifty miles to you know for like the eventual leader to finally take the lead for good. Um, you know, on the men's side, and you know, Cole tried to break the field around the 50 K mark and, you know, 10 years ago or even five years ago, that's the move that wins the race. But you had Anthony and Tom like, Oh no, that's too early. Like we're already going fast enough. That's too early. Um, and then the move didn't get made until after black Canyon city somewhere in the forties where, you know, then Cole wasn't able to respond to that move. And then even then it was still like, not sure if, Anthony had fully broken Tom until again, like the final 10 miles. So yeah, I mean, kind of going back to your stat and, and I was looking at some of the historical splits too, where it was like, how fast were people through Bumblebee through, you know, like uh, Gloriana and it was, you know, like 10 men all came in and left together, like 10 women all came in and left together there. It just the races are packing up for at least the first half, probably even longer now. And then it's gonna be who as of right now, it's who doesn't slow down. I don't think you need to make an aggressive move to win the race yet. And you know, it's still gonna be like a you know, Anthony died the least um last yeah. year. Maybe in five more years it won't be like that, where it's like who can then all of a sudden run their last 10k a handful of minutes faster than the 10k before that we're not seeing that yet but i bet we're getting closer mm. and yeah the, and maybe that might then bring out like a whole new different type of runner a different skill set to what it takes to win this race i am almost positive that at some point early on in the live stream between the start and bumblebee we're going to see frequent pans, drone pans to like a 20 person horde of runners mm-hmm. reliably staying in a pack. How long does some version of that pack stay together? And what will be the largest pack that we see late in the race? Relatively speaking, maybe spread out by yeah. hundreds of feet. I'm really maybe. curious to see. I just recall last year at Bumblebee at Gloriana, we, and that was 20 mile, 20 mile, 24. Oh, 
20, easily 20 men early on. I just remember trying to like spit off every single name running past. And I like, you don't know who they are. They're all jumbled together. Like huge packs, at least through mile 20, like we're going to see 30 people still together yeah. for men's mm-hmm. race, probably 20 on the women's side. Table Mesa, mile fifth. Oh, no. Black Canyon City, which we're not going to have this year, but that's around the mile 35 mark or so usually. That last year, we were seeing like within five minutes a good 10 men last year, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that's, I think that's where it truly starts breaking apart is that mile 36 or so, 35. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Cause by, as, as runners were leaving uh, Black Canyon City last year, there was a split where it was like Cole, Anthony, and Tom. And then there was maybe like two minutes. And then it was like fourth through 15th place were yeah. all still together trying to reel them in and Cole got mixed up in the shuffle of that before he came back to life. But then Tom and Anthony were the only ones that ended up staying away. I could totally, you know, as we get into like the preview of the fields, I could totally see a similar scenario with that, with a handful of names on this, on this list. Yeah. I think what, why we see that breaking point there typically too, is the first 20 miles is it's so easy. Like it's slightly downhill. You are just, gravity's taking you. You are not putting out any effort around the 20 mile mark is when you start to do a little bit of climbing. And then right around the 50 K mark before you then come down to black Canyon city, that's where you start to do a significant amount of climbing compared to the rest of the course. So I think that amount, that transition from all downhill to like, okay, now you need to actually start using your legs uh, kind of shocks a lot of the runners. And that's where we start to see um, some of the breaking happen. Should we get into the women's field? Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. I have so many questions, but I think maybe just to to start, Leah, when we when we say this field is deep, like how many women approximately do you believe are in contention for, let's say, one of the three golden tickets? I have 25 listed (laughs) and I think I calculated a roughly 12 to 13 of those are coached by Megan and David Roach, which is really fun. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun to play. Probably celebrating no matter what on a Saturday. I think they're going to be out there too, which will be fun. Yeah. The, uh, the Strava stalking, um, uh, playing the game of, are they a swap athlete? Uh, was kind of fun. I have like lots of question marks written next to a lot of names on my, uh, on my notes here, which is, I have six pages of name, yeah. like runner notes. And I think that's a record for pre-race uh, notes that I've ever taken. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah. I know we'll probably talk about like how we categorized our runners and things like that, yeah. but I think I didn't do this for the men's field, uh, but maybe one of you guys did, but something I thought was interesting to look at was the number of women in this field who have either earned a golden ticket in the past or missed it by two or less spots. Mm. And mm, that's a good from one. my top 25 women that I pulled out, there's 10 women who have wow. kind of been in that golden ticket contention in about the last like five years or so. Interesting. That is a big number. Like, and even like, okay, I'm on that list. Like, do you have Allison Baca on that list? Because no. I don't think she ever got a golden ticket. But Mm -mm. she's been pretty competitive at Western States. Yeah. And like Cat Bradley too. Cat Bradley. Yeah. 
won Western States but never won a golden ticket. Those both Allison and Kat got into Western States off the lottery. Yeah. So there's like there, even amongst how giant that list is of people who've been in golden kid and ticket, golden ticket contention or gotten golden tickets, there's still like heavy hitters not on that particular list. Yes. Yeah. And like I think even potentially like heavier hitters who aren't even on, on this list. Yes, 100%. Also, thank you to Rabbit for supporting the show. Rabbit is the official apparel partner of Singletrack, and you've heard me talk about them over the past two months, but I have become almost an everyday user of their new Cocoon 2.0 product. It's this advanced sweatshirt with a built-in turtleneck that pulls up into a secure hood and breathable face mask. It's got thumbnails and watch windows to keep your hands warm without a fuss and a water-resistant finish and fleecy interior for the most comfortable protection. I wear it on my runs. I wear it while ski mountaineering. It's the real deal. Um, Winter's here, you know? So go check it out if you need to upgrade your kit. Grab one and use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout when purchasing for 20% off your order. I would love to know the average amount of attempts it takes for any given runner who is trying to get a golden ticket to actually secure one. Like, is it two? Is it three? Is it one? I have no idea. That's a good question. Yeah, that might be a future Asian Fireball stat. It wouldn't, I mean, I know we definitely see some people who play the long game and like get better over the course of five or six years but like in the marathon world is some like 90 plus percent of elite marathoners set their lifetime pr within their first three marathons because you kind of like you kind of figure out about how good you're going to be and then like the wear and tear of training for it you know really adds up you have your you know you have your few exceptions but i wonder if we're going to see some people who like if you don't hit a golden ticket within your first like three races, assuming one of them actually goes well, like, will you be able to make that jump in improvement to yeah. be in that spot? And that's kind of a somewhat demoralizing way to phrase that. But I'm just curious if we're getting to that point where it's like, yeah, I mean, you could qualify for the trials and run 217 for the marathon, but like, you're never going to make the Olympic team because chances are that person that trained their ass off to run 217 is not going to run 207. To know your fate already is interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like when when Jim ran like 1408 at Western States, I was like, oh, he killed Western States. It's not fun anymore. <laughs> Leo, what are your categories? Um, you know, there's not, I've got a lot of categories this time and there's a lot of people who fall into a lot of buckets. Um, so the over, the overlapping first, Venn diagram. Yeah, this is, <laughs> These categories aren't my best, but I feel like they get the point across. My number one category says VVV fast slash has run a hundred miler. Um, so these are the people. <laughs> these are the what? people. So extremely fast. So these are kind of like the women who have shown themselves at like faster hundred milers and okay. or have run fast marathons and have succeeded at hundred milers. Then there's also the vvv fast hasn't finished a hundred miler so these are like our extreme road marathon speedy people um okay. who might be successful in more of like the 50k realm of the sport but are just finally tipping over into the 100k realm and then i have our very very fast and consistent runners who like might not be that like top end marathon speed but are consistently competing at the highest level and doing it well over the years. Okay. So a couple of the people that fill those categories. So where should I start? Let's talk about our 
I think very, very, very fast and have run a hundred milers. Um, hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. Allison Baca, um, Heather Jackson and Kat Drew. Um, so Allison Baca, man, she, she excites me because she can do so much in the sport. She's got extreme leg speed. She's just recently coming off a 242 CIM where I believe she was trying to go for the standard and fell a little bit short. And we also saw her sixth place at the world uh, mountain trail running championships this year, I think being the top USA uh, woman in that race. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely wow. talented. And I love to see her put it all together in races this last year. And I think Black Canyon will really suit her strengths. We mentioned that she did run Western States a couple years ago, 2022. I think she was just outside the top 10 running around 21 hours and change. I think 50 mile 100K is her sweet spot. And I'm really excited to see her here. Wow. I didn't know she was that fast. That's She's cool. So yeah. Fast. yeah. She comes from a prior, uh, I think, triathlon background as well. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Um, Heather Jackson. I think we know Heather Jackson well at this point. Um, she is the only woman in in this field who's already into Western States in like our more competitive field, I would say. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um so Heather was second here last year, only by two minutes, um, ran a great race, and we just saw her just blow Havelina out of the water this fall, running extremely aggressive. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how she attacks Black Canyon, because I think if she does it similarly to how she ran Havelina, we are in for a show. Do you think she will? Because this I is kind of so. a no-pressure race for her. I think she is going to going to go for it and if to remind the listeners of how heather ran javelina she went out at men's course record pace for the first 100k and was doing it well and was running around like fifth place overall fifth or sixth place overall for much of that first 100k and held on extremely well running i think 14 30 or so microfade microfade yeah it was really, really impressive. I mm-hmm. That style of racing scares the crap out of me. I will probably never race that way, but I love watching Heather do it because she's so good at just staying gritty whenever it starts hurting really bad. Eric LaPuma, if you're ever listening, please make a logo for Microfade as well. <laughs> yeah, you can take that however you want. <laughs> My last person in this VV Fast has run a 100-miler category is Kat Drew. Uh, I'm really excited to see her here. So she took pretty much all of 2023 off from anything that had a hundred in the name is how she wrote it. Mm. Um, so she was kind of burnt out by the hundred K hundred mile distance and went back to 50 K and like road running a good bit just to kind of stoke her fire a little bit more. And she's really, really good at the 50 K distance. Uh, we saw her battle it out with Claire Gallagher at Chuckanut last year. I think she was just behind Claire in that race. And then she threw down a 324.50K at Calgary Marathon um, in 50K last year. And wow. that is Gosh. like 630-ish pace, I believe. Um, one of the faster 50Ks in North America last year by a woman. So I think taking that year kind of off from the longer distance probably did her pretty well. And I think she's probably energized coming into this. I do believe she's had a Black Canyon attempt and perhaps finish before. I think this course suits her well. I think having the leg speed and then having 
course experience. She's also gotten a golden ticket at Canyon's 100K and uh, raced her way into Western States for a top 10 finish before. So I'm curious if she wants to get back to Western States once more. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one thing I think about with Heather Jackson, she is, this is year two of her trail running experiment. And like another stat again, like calling to the heavens, calling to Liam Aviation Fireball, like what is the common trajectory to hitting your peak in the sport from a year over a year standpoint? Like, like Brett, like you were saying earlier with, with the marathon, like on your third attempt, you kind of figure out the zone of your, your peak in the sport or at that distance. How many years in the sport does it take to really flesh out like what your identity is, how good you can be, uh, stuff like that? Well, one, one thing that's really cool that we're seeing about the sport with advancements in training science and especially nutrition is that people are maintaining their peak racing years longer. Mm. You know, it, it used to be, again, going back to the great Ryan Gelfie, uh, he was like, you get three years to be good at the sport because <laughs> 90% of ultra runners are absolutely torched after three years. And when you look at 2016 prior and you look at people who are winning races, he was for the most part, right. You know, and then there was a small handful of people that continued to run well beyond three years. We're seeing that less now where we're seeing people be good year after year after year. It's like, you know, like I, I totally thought Walmsley was going to be burnt out after like two or three years, but I think he's adopted enough of the kind of new age training science. You know, we're seeing like you had said too the, the reinventing of Zach Miller that's prolonging his career, not only just to be able to do it, but be able to do it at the very highest level. So, uh, you know, for someone like Heather, like she might have like, she might have another decade in this sport. Yeah. Leah, in your opinion, if you had to predict on race day, how many runners in this women's field are capable of breaking nine hours? Oh, f- like because only seven have done it in history. I think fifteen in this field could. Wow. I do. I don't think yeah. fifteen are going to do it, but I think there's fifteen women in this field on a good weather day that could, especially if they brought just the most out of each other. I what I do really like about this field, and I'll touch on it in my next category, is just like the style of racers we have too. Um, I love seeing like Rachel Drake and MK Sullivan uh, in this field. I think mm-hmm. they've competed in really, really a competitive 50Ks and like short distance uh, mountain runs. Same with Rachel Tomachak, who's this will be her first yeah. 100K and probably one of her first ultra distances as well. I think she's only run uh, maybe one or two ultra marathons, but these women know how to race and race like hard for the entirety of a race. Um, so I'm curious whenever you're lining up this many women with that competitive fire, how hard they'll push each other and yeah, what they can get out of the others. What do you got for another category? Um, let me just dive into that category. So those were like my top end speedsters who haven't run a hundred miler, not saying you need to run a hundred miler. I just needed a way to separate these categories, quite (laughs) frankly. Um, So in this category, and Brett, maybe you can dive into her a little bit because I feel like you've Mm -hmm. got some um, specialized knowledge is Marcy Klimek. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Marcy's, yeah. Marcy's going to be a a fun one to watch out there because I think she's got the fastest marathon PR of the field Mm -hmm. and it's not, I mean, it was just from a couple years ago and it's, it's two thirty flat, you know, like 230 that's like 
well under the trials mark. But anyway, yeah, yeah Marcy's dabbled in trail stuff just on and off. Um, she's a, a Southern Oregon local, um, living actually out in Montana at the moment. But uh, yeah, dabbled in trail mostly just to kind of break up the road racing. Um, but then last year decided to go more all in on trail and and just first first true like training and racing of a trail race was the Waldo hundred K where the, she then won it outright in a course record. And, um, Waldo hundred K isn't as competitive as it once was, but if anyone goes back and looks at the like top 10 list, it's, it's a who's who of ultra running royalty yeah. from the Waldo hundred and the, yeah. And, and I talked to her after the race and she was like, Oh, it was, it was miserable. There was like so many things I did wrong and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So this one, like clearly the talent is there, the fitness is going to be there, but the one thing, the biggest difference between Waldo and Black Canyon is there are so many more distractions at Black Canyon (laughs) with competition for one and just the chaos of the aid stations crewing, like actually having like Marcy didn't have to be fast through any of the aid stations at Waldo. You have to be fast through the aid stations here at Black Canyon. So, um, you know, there's going to be some question marks there, but she might be fit enough to, you know, be able to make a few of those little mistakes. You can't do anything major, but um, yeah, definitely on your very, very fast, but hasn't run a hundred mile yet uh, Mm -hmm. list. That's definitely a good one. Someone to watch out for. I got to yeah. add to that. I got to add to that because we have a very interesting person alert here too. I went to her bio page on the Cascadia elite team website. Mm. Her current obsessions include the James Webb telescope, which is like an upgraded version of the Hubble telescope, a family of hummingbirds that share her front porch and learning to play the fiddle. That's amazing. I didn't know any of those things. I only talked to Marcy <laughs> about running. <laughs> So very interesting person alert too, not just a great runner. She's multidimensional. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, I wanted to add too, Waldo is a 22-year-old race. So like like you said, that's a who's who of like the 2010s largely, but like that race mm-hmm. has been around for a minute. So breaking a course record there and then beating all the men, that's pretty cool. And on yeah. an imperfect day. Oh, I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. So then I also had Rachel Drake in that category. Uh, if anybody followed Rachel Drake's CIM this year, it was extremely impressive. Textbook. Textbook. Beautiful. Her and Peyton Thomas ran, uh, I'm pretty sure the entire race together and just put together a beautiful 235 qualifying for the Olympic, uh, marathon trials. And she's foregoing her spot in the trials to run Black Canyon, which I think, just speaks to her love for the trail running world and speaks to like what she's really after, which is a great race here at Black Canyon. Great vote for our sport. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Rachel's just had a phenomenal year. She kind of focused a little bit more on the shorter stuff this summer going into OCC and then put herself in the mix at OCC and did it extraordinarily well with a sixth place yeah. finish had like a rough return to running postpartum earlier in the season, but then just came back stronger than ever. Uh, she's like not somebody that you're going to see do extraordinarily high mileage, but what she does works really, really well for her. She's run 100K before, I believe it was the 2019 CCC where she was in the top 10 there. So she has experience. She's done 100K. It's been a minute, 
Um, so if anything, like, I think that could be one question mark for me, but I think having such household experience with the longer distance and then having like the grit and resilience at the shorter, uh, 50 K and other mountain races she's done, I think will bode extremely well for her. I'm so happy that Rachel is back to like peak running form because I feel like there was a whole crop of trail fans that came about post COVID and Rachel ran really well on the golden trail final, I think in 2020. Um, but then like pregnant postpartum, you know, that yep. took out a chunk of race time. And a lot of people didn't know who Rachel Drake was. And it was like, oh, I can't wait for all these people to learn who Rachel is. And then now that she's back doing Rachel things, everyone's like, who is this person? I was like, you know, she's Rachel's like the OG. Um, Amen. So excited that, that she's running Black Canyon and what I assume is a, a golden ticket attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe so. And I think coming off a recent short, short course race in Hong Kong, um, that was still, you know, a three hour something race. I think that was a great like training effort and great proof of her fitness coming into this. I think she was definitely in the top five overall, maybe like fourth overall there, um, breaking a course record and beating all the women in the field by like 20 plus minutes in, I forget about 20 mile race. One thing she's crewed and paced Tyler. Um, did Tyler win this race or second? He got second to cents. I think he won back in 2021. I think he actually, he had a pretty great, he had a pretty tactical run too. Cause I, I think he was yeah. in third place at black Canyon city and then took the lead and won. It was one of those really interesting come from behind but, years. Uh, Rachel paced him for the yes. last section. So Rachel at least has like the neurons connected of running very fast the last 10 miles. And that's Rachel, a, that's a good thing to have. Yes. He also proceeded to run the 60k the next day and crush me. So <laughs> she has she knows the first 35 miles very well too. So I think she yeah. actually has probably seen roughly the entire course, which I mm-hmm. think is helpful um, for a race like Black Canyon too. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just go through these. Then, I, like I mentioned, MK Sullivan, another top ten at the World Trail and Mountain Running Championships in the 40k this year. I think that race was probably her best race to date, but also has been super competitive in the golden uh, trail series. The last couple of years, we'll be stepping it up in distance as well. I believe she was going to run CIM too, but uh, forewent that just to like recover a little bit more this winter and dive a bit more into this training. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple other names in this category, Kat Short and Sarah Beal, both very fast. Um, Sarah Beal, I think has a sub two forty marathon to her name. JFK course record has had several, golden ticket race attempts now um her closest being a fifth place at canyons 100k back in 2022 and then i had a rough go last year at a few golden ticket attempts so hopefully uh waiting hopefully for her to put it together here at this race there's a lot of cats in the race this year there's three yeah yeah wow (laughs) that's all (laughs) and then let me just you want me to dive into my last category here Sure. Yeah. I just like consistent performers who are always at the top end, which Lucy Bartholomew, Anne-Marie Madden, Shea Aquilano, uh, Lauren Puritz, Arden Young, Becca Wendell, Anna McKenna, and Riley Brady. Mm -hmm. Lucy Bartholomew, like no stranger to any of us, has gotten third at Western States. I know really wants to get back to Western States. Transitioned, I think, from being coached by David Roach this past summer um, to being coached by Jason Coop. And that Transition happened right before UTMB, I believe, and she did her UTMB uh, Kona 
double, which was pretty cool to follow. Uh, got 10th place at UTMB and I think has since been training very specifically uh, for Black Canyon and I believe has been in Arizona now for probably at least the last two weeks. So I think she'll be solid. Um, her training's been, yeah, very specific, pretty. It's like, looked really good. Yeah. E miles. Yeah. Mm hmm. One of my first introductions to the sport was back in 2018. I was at Western States training camp, had the chance to meet her great person. And then she put on a really interesting clinic type race at, at Western that year. I mean, was leading the race for a while, uh, kind of micro faded to third, but, um, yeah, really exciting. I hope she gets back into Western too. I think it'd be awesome. And I feel like she is somebody who, like, even if she doesn't have her day at Black Canyon, I think we'll see her at Canyons because I think that's, that is her goal this year. Cool. Let me see here. Yeah. And I think um, on that list, Anne-Marie Madden is a fun one. She just, um, <laughs> she won the master's division at CIM this year, running 244. Um, and she's, I believe, 42 or 43 years old and has gotten a golden ticket at Black Canyon once before. Uh, and yeah, I think she's solid. She just has such a history in the sport way back to like some podium finishes at the North Face 50 miler in California. Uh, so I love to see her on start lines. Cause I think every time we see her race, she just is consistent, works her way up, knows what she's doing. And is just a complete expert. That, uh, the golden ticket year where she got that ticket, I think it was 2022. It was the year that Dominica Stelmach blew up Claire won. I think, uh, Anne-Marie was maybe 20, 25 minutes back at Black Canyon City, and she was one of the outliers in that whole kind of stat we were talking about where she was that far back but kind of ran textbook in the last half of the race to get into podium, golden ticket position. Really impressive. Dang. Yeah, she's um, part of the Canadian contingent that we're going to see at Black Canyon for whatever mm -hmm. reason. Um, maybe they just want to escape their brutal winters up there, but Black Canyon always does a good job of attracting our Canadian friends. So on the women's side, that's going to be a uh, cat short. She's Canadian, but lives in Hawaii. Um, cat yeah. drew Anne Marie Madden, Arden Young and Genevieve Asselin Demers. So pretty five of them, pretty solid. We're just missing Ailsa McDonald. I feel like she should be there. Dang, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything, anybody else that you guys want to add that can't really dive deep into? Uh, is Tara Dower racing? Oh, I believe she is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause she was, she was 12th, uh, last year, I think. Yep. Um, yeah. 12th last year amongst, I think, I've got like, I think five returners from the top 15, Heather Jackson, uh, second, Anna Cash is fourth. Oh, Anna Cash is not running this year though. Shea Aquilano, six, uh, and then Nicole Hansen was 13th. So still definitely got a handful. And then there was a whole bunch from like 2022 who mm -hmm. raced and are coming back. So a lot of uh, people who have logged some some solid miles on this course. Yeah. And I think um, somebody like Shay, I think she was only like two minute, a minute or so behind. She was in sixth place. I think a minute or so behind Ida, who was in fifth place and not far behind <clears throat> Anna last year. Um I think with the experience she's gained this last year, definitely has some opportunity to uh, make up some time on her splits from last year. Uh, and she put in a typical like little Shea training weekend too with like a 22, 20, 10, 10, 13, all in like a three-day period. You know who uh, Shea Aquilano's training kind of reminds me of is uh, Casey Licktags. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of it's like pretty quick, pretty mm -hmm. consistently quick pretty high mileage and very flat. 
But then for some yep. reason that just equals running well on trails. So well, yeah. What did we call that John Ray training strategy where he did like the six runs in a 48 hour span separated by like whatever, eight to 10 hours each? Questionable. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> there know. Was some, there was some like training theory-esque uh, title for it. Cluster. It was cluster. It was like, it was cluster oh, runs. Cluster yes, runs. You're right. Yeah. Cluster runs. I haven't seen, I, I mean, I, it was so hard to dive through like everyone's Strava. Cause, and then I kind of, I, I went through so many and then I kind of concluded like, you're right now, everyone's running, training really well. Yeah. It's really going to come down to making, you know, who can make the least amount of mistakes. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I saw any cluster runs. I wasn't looking too specifically though. Who's, who's when picking do, first? I'll oh. go first. And, uh, it's going if, first. if I'm, if I'm inspired enough, I'm going to try to add in a jingle. Like if, if anyone here in the <laughs> audience uh, watches the ESPN NFL draft, whenever they make a pick, it's, it has this jingle. It's like, did it in, din, 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 did it in, din, din, din. If you're an NFL fan, you'll get it. So I'll add a jingle to each of these picks. But oh, I thought you were going to do like a, like <laughs> the best part of waking up. It's Folgers in your, in your cup. <laughs> I, ha- I actually have Folgers today. It was great. All right. So I actually went six deep. I know we said we we're going to go five deep. I went six deep. I've got Heather Jackson winning the race, Rachel Drake in second, MK Sullivan in third, Riley Brady fourth, Cat Short fifth, Allison Baca sixth. The reason I went six deep is I think this is going to be a two-part race. I think there's going to be a fierce battle at the front between Heather Jackson, Rachel Drake, and MK Sullivan, but I think they're all going to hold it together. And then I think there's going to be a, a pack not far behind them, which is Riley Brady, Cat Short, and Allison Baca. Mm. Because some of these people have tickets already, my golden ticket winners are Rachel Drake, MK Sullivan, and Riley Brady. They're heading back to Western. Mm. So, Oh, we should mm. add, um, golden tickets are rolling down to six yes. at Black Canyon, according mm-hmm. to Craig Lee on Twitter. Um, yep. So in the past, um, golden tickets always roll down to five because they're giving three here we will see rolling down to six, which is exciting. So that gives some opportunity for people turning them down or people already being into Western states. And Black Canyon is paying for your Western states entry yeah. fee to the golden ticket winners. So which is, it's expensive. It's like, that's it's expensive. about $500. So, so here's a question. If like you're in that spot and you like turn down the golden ticket, you can't just like accept a check for $500. That'd be nice. Probably not. Like, what if you had a choice? Who would choose that? Five hundred dollars <laughs> or an entrance, or or the opportunity to run Western States? That's like classic Jared Hazen putting his belt buckle on eBay type scenario, right there. <laughs> yeah, Finn. I wanted to add. I don't know if you remember uh, Bandera twenty twenty three, but Cat Short went out with Courtney DeWalter and yeah. stuck with Courtney DeWalter for a while. So I think Cat yeah. will be somebody we see in that lead pack. Early That's a on. great point. That's good memory. Jackson. Yeah. Great point. I think there are, I think this, this women's race, it could be a very aggressive year. And, and I, and I like that dynamic. I like the fact that there could be people really laying it out on the line early battling, not wanting to give up position and yeah, just mm-hmm. being a, I just, I love that. I love seeing that type of racing. And I guess my one prediction that I want to hold to, and I'll be curious to see if it plays out is I think that of the people that I expect to go out hard, I don't expect 
as much attrition as we would normally see. Like one of the questions on Instagram, which could be funny to debate is, will this be the most DNF to race in the history of American ultra trail running because of how deep it is and how that environment can lead to questionable decision-making maybe, but of my picks, I see these, these people kind of holding it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I agree with you on that. And I feel like one of the most DNF races in American ultra running history is probably Barkley <laughs> or like Big's backyard ultra. So <laughs> checkmate. <laughs> All right. Um, so I do not have the same picks as Finn, which I had a feeling we've had, we've done prediction show or preview shows in the past where a lot of our picks have been pretty similar. And I, I was, I would have been pretty shocked if we had super similar picks across these ones. So I've got Rachel Drake taking the win and accepting a golden ticket, uh, edging out Heather Jackson, who's already in Washington States. Um, I've got Allison Baca for third taking a golden ticket. And then I've got, you know, dark horse, random baller, Marcy Klimek mm. hanging on for fourth. Uh, also taking that golden ticket fifth. I've got Riley Brady and then mm. bonus sixth place, uh, Shay Aquilano. Mm. Ours are similar, and Brett. I, I had, I had so like in Marcy's case for fourth place, I had about like, four or five other women that were like in the similar, like you had like your Rachel to my check, uh, MK Sullivan kind of like who's going to be able to still go out pretty hard, but then have the legs less of TK. And it was, I mean, is a, it was a biased coin flip for, for that spot. So, cause then, like you said, I think we're going to see a, and a decent amount more aggression of racing in the front, but then, just due to the level of talent in this field, we're just not going to see as much blowing up. Um, so we'll see some, we'll see some micro fades, you know, I'm not saying like anyone that I left outside of my top six is like going to DNF. I mean, they're probably right there in seventh, but I'm interested now to hear your picks, Leah. Okay. We're going, I'll go backwards. I got Marcy (laughs) Mac in fifth. Um, yeah. And then I got Riley Brady in fourth. I got Allison Baca in third. Rachel Drake in second. Heather Jackson in first. Heather and Rachel both breaking the course record. And I think they're going to run like 10 minutes under the course record. And I think that's going to be a very close race between the two. I think Heather will have a big Mm -hmm. or bigger gap early on. I think Rachel's going to close that quite a bit. Yeah. To add to add to that, because that's I, I like that. In my my entire top five goes sub nine. I'm not going to say course records, but I'm saying the whole top five goes sub nine. I think they go sub nine oh two. It was like a Price Is Right type counter <laughs> right there. You're like, oh yeah, well I bet the top five goes sub nine oh three. <laughs> the price is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay so it's it's heather or rachel yeah interesting i mean so yeah yeah. with those lineups like we said that means tickets would roll down to number four because we all had heather Mm -hmm. jackson in our our top five there so that would be cool i would love to see riley get another ticket to western states they missed out by 
one spot at Havelina um, behind Heather and Ragna DeBots. And then I know didn't quite have the Western mm-hmm. States wanted to have this summer. So would love to see them get back there. I think it's becoming increasingly easier to do with social media. But one thing that I start to factor in is what is the overall chemistry of these fields and how do each of the runners relate to each other? What's going on in their lives? Where are they at in their career? And how does all of that contribute to the dynamics of the race? And I just love the chemistry in this field. And I'm very excited to see, because like Rachel Drake has talked in the past about how she collaborates with her competition to get the best out of herself. And I think there's going to be a lot of collaboration that goes on on race day to like to help get those course records Lee, that you described. I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, that's what I saw a lot in that like third through fifth place last year was like they were working together. Granted, they were racing each other, but like Meg Morgan, Shay, Anna, Ida, like they were kind of fighting each other, but working with yeah. each other. And it was really, really cool to see. That's what I love about golden ticket races is like, yes, winning the race is, you know, you're still the champion, you're first, but like, if you get that second or that third golden ticket, like you're kind of winning the race as well. So, um, and it, yeah. And who knows, maybe Rachel is going to be channeling some of this, you know, not being at the Olympic trials for the marathon. She's like, this is her Olympic trials, like top three get to go to the Olympics, which is Western States. And she's got a legit chance to be on that team. All right. Men's field, talking depth, category, storylines, predictions. Brett, kick us off here. Where do you want to start? There's a lot of returners. Um, few more on the men's side than the women's side. So I'm just going to roll through kind of the the upper, upper few um, returners. So we've got Cole Watson coming back, who was fourth. Noah Dusso, who was fifth, David Laney, who was seventh, Elliot Carden, who was eighth, Stephen Kirsch, who was ninth, Matt Seidel, who was 10th, Dan Green, who was 12th, Ryan Miller, who was 13th. Those are just all people who are like just coming back who want to improve upon that. Like if you just take those people and they have the races that they had last year, there's not that much room to include new people. So it's, you know, and it definitely, I mean, it won't play out like that, but, and then there's also people who have had success in like previous, uh, years of this race, you know, the, you know, the big one is Hayden Hawks. He won black Canyon in 2020. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't listened to the single track podcast, black Canyon interview with Hayden Hawks, give that a listen. That was great. Um, I, I love how transparent. Hayden is with his training and like his comeback from surgery and just being very uh, like vocal about how, how many stones he has turned over or like, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, I flew to the UK and was in an altitude chamber that had the heat cranked up. And I ran like virtually every section of the Western States course to figure out exactly how much fluid and carbohydrates I need on every section. And then I've been practicing that. I'm like, what, what you had to fly to the UK to do that. But like, (laughs) damn, like that's like, that is super impressive. How, How should I go through my categories? Like I have three, four, four, four categories. Um, I don't think I'll go through every single name on all of them, but I had like, I had current heavy hitters. So those are, you know, those who have like recently 
banged out like one or more like massively good races, actually more than one. Like, I feel like you're a heavy hitter if you at least have two of them. Um, cause then we know you're not just like a flash in the pan. So I had current heavy hitters. I have was once a heavy hitter, but might still have it in them. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, like an like example that. of that, like, like I've got, I've got David Laney, Tim Tolleson, Mark Hammond, Jared Hazen, Stephen Kirsch. I have all of like was once a heavy hitter and might still have a heavy hitter type performance or year in them because they, they all have been like right at the top of the stage. You know, we're talking like podiums at Western States. Jared has what the second fastest all time time at Western States, multiple golden tickets. Mark Hammond's been on the podium multiple times. Um, You know, David and Tim have both podiumed at UTMB. Kirsch uh, has had he's had some pretty good international races. He's also had like a seventh at Western States. He was, I mean, he was just ninth last year. He's got I've got a little note next to him, home field advantage. He gets to spend some time out on the course. And then I've got a list of like our heavy hitter potentials who have had like maybe one really good race or a couple close to really good races and are like right on the bubble of making that jump. You know, I've got like Chris Myers. He, you know, had a great Bandera last year. Uh, He actually, he races a lot just like in that 50 K to hundred K type range and consistently is very good. Uh, Recently moved to Boulder, you know, in what appears to be like a pretty strategic, you know, training environment change so this will be the first race that he does i think since having like moved full-time to boulder makai clemens he's been on the scene for a while and i think is like like what like coconino cowboy adjacent like (laughs) has, has rolled he's rolled with the crew from time to time like i don't know kind of like how people like throw like tupac is like a bay area type rapper because he did roll with them for a little bit Anyways, he, oh, he just crushed the San Diego hundred last year, um, which, you know, was like probably a heavy hitter type performance, but then it's like, do that with other people around you now. Um, a couple other names, you know, like Rod Farvard, Adam Mary, Ryan Miller. Do we know if Raj Paul Panu is racing? He's not. He's focusing on the hundred mile jackpot race, I think. Okay. Because I saw that he was signed up for both, but a lot of his Strava seemed very uh, narrowed in on Jackpot 100. So um, I, I tried to get him for an interview and he said uh, he's focusing on the 100 mile. Okay. Okay, we'll, we'll cross him off the list. Canyon Woodward. Um, yes, we Canyon. Yeah, I was going to say Finn's, Finn's favorite runner. I didn't, Canyon's had some, like he, he was third at Bandera last year which was kind of the the eye-opener race for me for him but he's had some solid utmbs um yeah like like 20 27th male last year at utmb um and i think the year before that he was in the in the 40s which like if you're in the 40s at utmb that's a good race um you know so that's i'm curious to see his and like again his trainings look good and then you know another person who i feel like has like been really knocking on the door and is like we like we've said this so many times. They're like one race away from really busting it out as Matt Seidel, another pretty prolific racer. You know, does a lot of cool running over in the Bay Area, but uh, was tenth at Black Canyon last year and went for 
recently went for the the trials qualifier at CIM and missed it, but not by too much, right? No, not by too much. I just feel like Matt is one of those runners who just has all the potential in the world. And like, we're just waiting for him to have that one race that just showcases it all. And And I wouldn't be surprised if like, once he has that race, once he'll be able to do it every time. Yes, exactly. And then, um, the last, the last one I've got, well, the last two, uh, Dan Green, who was 12th at Black Canyon last year, but then fourth at Javelina. And I feel like that was a big jump for him. Huge jump. And he looked like he was going for it and looked consistently good all day long. And I think um, it wasn't that he really like slowed down that much. It's just everybody attacked that last like 10 miles a little bit more than he was able to. Yeah, absolutely. And then Noah Duso, who was fifth at the race last year, Mm. was all like, right merging into that heavy hitter type category. Um, so I'm really curious to see from this list, like who makes that jump. And then, um, the, the last category I had was like, I guess actually I I wrote it as like dark horses or dudes with the fitness to be in the top 10. But now that I'm looking at the names, they're actually just really fast people. Um, (laughs) who, I guess then have the potential to be in the top 10, but, uh, an exciting name on the list is Hans Troyer who just smashed Bandera last month. He ran 745 and you know, that was pretty solo. Who knows how much time he, uh, takes off if that was still a golden ticket race, but he's coming back to black Canyon. The biggest question mark there that we were talking about is like, is this too soon? I mean, I don't think we've ever seen someone win Bandera and then come and just run Black Canyon. No one's ever needed to, but we've seen a ton of people try the Black Canyon or the Bandera Black Canyon double, and it's hard. It's a short turnaround. So curious to see uh, Hans Troyer. And then um, Nate Jukes, uh, who trains a lot with Hayden Hawks. Um, he's like, you know, Hayden, in, in your pre-race interview Finn you know Hayden said like look out for Nate you know Nate's a beast Nate is a 1355k guy like he was teammates with Hayden and Cam Levins at Southern Utah University and like Nate ran 1350 for the 5k and 2840 for 10k and is just now realizing that he actually loves trail running so when you as we've historically seen when you're that good and you learn that you love trail running, oftentimes you have success at trail running. So and another person, got like four or five kids, I think. Yeah. His Strava like bio says 5.5 kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I don't know what the 0.5 means. Maybe like a baby. Yeah. On the way maybe. Yeah. So 5.5 kids. And then the other speedster that, you know, I'm sure we're all very curious about is Andrew Bumbleo, formerly of the Oregon Track Club and Bowerman Track Club. And, you know, he missed making the Olympic team in the 5K in 2012 by one spot. You know, he he eats 1355Ks for breakfast. His PR is 1312, (laughs) um, which like now we're getting into world-class type territory. I mean, I think, and 
towards the end of his track career, he dabbled in the marathon and in 2019 ran 210 at Chicago, which the only person to have started Black Canyon that's run faster than that, which it's amazing that there's actually been someone to run faster than that was Reed Coolset, yeah. who has run a faster marathon. But word on the street is Bumby's pretty fit. And, you know, he did do a little like 20 mile tune up race in Bend last winter. And, uh, oh, where's that note? It's on one of my six pages. Control I think F, it was, Control F. I know where he beat, I think it was Noah Dusso. Uh, by like it was it was you you said that to me yeah was that is that right okay yeah yeah by like five minutes there i mean i know that's only a 20 mile race but uh you know if if bumby can handle the downhill of the first half i mean he's gonna be he's gonna be dangerous for sure last speedster is craig hunt who i don't you know he ran the the Carbon X project, like the 100K, but I don't know if he's done like a trail 100K. He was in um, Black Canyon a couple years ago. Oh, Remember he yeah, was like I, leading the race through mile 50? Yep. Yeah, you're right. I have a bullet that says DNF Black Canyon and, 100K 2021. And the last guy to hang with Jim Walmsley during his 100K world record attempt. Oh, was he the last one he of was the last group? Standing. Oh, okay. And like he won way too cool last year. He has a 215 marathon PR. So like, Again, speedy, but you know, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the only thing that helps you know win the race. Mm-hmm. You know, it helps to have that, but I, I have a feeling that those who have a little bit more uh, like elite trail racing experience are going to be the ones to emerge. What do What do y'all think? Any names I like, that I, I missed? I like the Craig Hunt thought here because I actually think. He had a really great early 2023 where he was like lining up 50K after 50K trail mm-hmm. marathon almost every other weekend and performing extremely well at them. And then, yeah, just thinking back to his Black Canyon 20, maybe 21 or whatever the year that was, I think he was leading through 50 miles and then left the aid station still in the lead. But then we saw him walking back like soon after. And that's when like that race broke apart when that was like Tyler and Sensman. So I do feel mm-hmm. like he has really significant course knowledge here. And the fact that he was able to do that off a of very little trail experience then, I think speaks a lot to what he can do now. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't necessarily thinking about Craig Hunt in my top five, but now I might've just convinced myself. I know that I, I had those exact same thoughts go through my head now as you're like, now that I think about it, I'm like, well, that's not how I wrote my top five. <laughs> um, you did forget, um, but he's also kind of, He's not in like the bulky list on Ultra Sign Up. You got to scroll down to the people with out Ultra Sign Up results. Um, Pekin Yu from, um, I believe, China. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's won the Hong Kong 100K in 2020. Also got second place very recently at the Hong Kong 100K as well. Um, I believe this is his first time racing in the United States. So curious to see, A, how the recovery after Hong Kong went, but mm-hmm. then B, also how training on running on this terrain will feel for him. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the nice things about, well, actually, no, I, he just raced in Hong Kong. Where does he train? Where does he live? Good question. Oh, not okay. positive. I was just assuming Hong Kong, but that's probably not the case. Um, I actually didn't, I didn't name my current heavy hitters list. I realized I just omitted oh. like five massive <laughs> names. Keep <laughs> them omitted. Um, well, I, I did, I did mention like current heavy hitters, like Hayden Hawks, um, you know, even though he didn't 
you know, race for most of 2023. I still put him in that current heavy hitter uh, list. Uh, John Ray, Johnny Ray, uh, course record at Javelina in October, fourth at CCC. That's one of the nastiest doubles uh, <laughs> of all time. It's just that that CCC Javelina stack. Um, you know, 14th at Western States. And, you know, clearly there's a lot of motivation to get back because I feel like if you look at Johnny Ray's like last two years of racing, Western States have been the only misses. Yeah. And, you know, when you're breaking, you know, when you're running fourth at CCC, breaking the course record at Javelina, like you are absolutely, you absolutely deserve to be in the like podium talk for Western States. So, you know, I kind of, I understand like he has a, you know, a spot in Western States already, but I totally understand just lining up and getting this kind of, you know, like a dress rehearsal for this level of competition before Western States, you know, another opportunity to practice some like cluster runs or similar sort of things. He did do some like pretty long race simulation runs where it was like, you know, 30 or 40 miles at 730, 100K pace and was like, oh yeah, that felt pretty good. Mm. Brett, we should get, because his coach is Adam St. Pierre, we should get his coach on the show before Western States to talk about how he trained John for Western, if John gets into Western. Or sorry, he's in Western, so we'll talk he's about it. He's already in Western, yeah. He's already in. He's already in. Yeah, yeah so like, we'll be... got nothing to lose also with this race, which mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, that can go both ways. It's like, extremely scary because it's like what will he do but then also from like a mental standpoint if like something's feeling off you might be thinking like eh, why risk it so true i'm not sure how he would i feel like he's gonna go for it but we'll see yeah you do get to no pressure go for it which there's three people you know in this heavy hitters list that get to do that and the other one is cole watson who is the i guess he's the highest returner from last year uh right yeah getting fourth first at the canyons 100k and then ninth at western states so he already has his in at western states and you know we're just coming back to black canyon to race and you know compete and then the other person's ryan montgomery who had an amazing javelina uh this past october as well and was seventh at western states last year so again we're just like we're just racing the last heavy hitter that i have that is trying to gain entry into Western States is Eric LaPuma. Puma. Who, uh, yeah, the, the Puma. <laughs> I believe that's what it translates to. <laughs> I mean, when you're top 10 at the last two world championships, you've got to have a little bit of clutch factor in you. So, um, you know, probably looking to redeem himself from a DNF in 2022. You know, yeah. he's got he's got a smart coach. Um, he's coached by Corinne Malcolm. I do think just from observing Eric's training on Strava, he has to win the most miserable training award. Yeah, uh, his oh, winter not has seemed pretty heinous. So I feel like whatever weather gets thrown at Black Canyon, Eric is ready for it. Um, he is also. You guys can fact check me on this because I'm just probably pulling this out of my ass. But he's the only person in the field who has been on both the roads. Uh, world's team and mountain mm. trail team. So he ran on the USA hundred K roads mm. team um, like two years ago. And then also has been on two uh, mountain trail teams now. Is there any chance? And I don't know this, but it, it, did, did Craig hunt do that as well? Cause I know that he got second. Oh, well, at Formidable. Probably. Okay. 
I'm not, and I'm not sure. <laughs> I think but you're probably right. Still, I'm pretty sure he was on the Rhodes 50k team, and then the short course. Still rare, Eric. It's still, it's still yeah. awesome. Eric is the highest performing person who has done both. The only yep. thing I worry about with Eric, because and this was impressed upon me in the Hayden conversation, is how important as the sport professionalizes specificity becomes in your training and like, you know, Hayden making all these efforts to get down to St. George from Cedar city, because St. George is like, kind of, it replicates the black Canyon course. Well, a lot of people that do well at this race, it's because they have home field advantage or they do their training camps down here. Like you said, wins the award for worst training location is probably <laughs> finding it very difficult to mimic what he needs to do. Yeah. From a core specificity, I just I just worry about that because he has all yeah. the talent in the world. He's clutch. He's amazing. He's world class. But yeah, his environment. I do mm. think he's just been extremely versatile, though. I think that'll be helpful. And it's yeah, I don't know. I feel like he can do it all, but yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, that concern as well. I will say back to like your St. George uh, perspective. There, I did a training run recently in St. George, and it was supposed to be a group run with. Um, yeah, Caleb and like Hayden Hawks and uh, yeah, yeah. Nate Jukes, Nate Jukes, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was told it was be like a easy group run pace. And guys, I kid you not, within 45 seconds of starting this run, this was not easy group run pace. And I got dropped so hard. It was about probably two minutes in. I was like, okay, you guys can go. But yeah, I think they are both extremely fit and then going to be in very a good place for this race but the saint george terrain the whole time i was doing this run i was like this is perfect black canyon training it's like identical so i do think that specificity is helpful um however i think eric lapuma will uh fare well on it regardless i'll add a, a couple notes before we get into picks the first thing I don't know how this started but both dan green and makai clemens have two of the largest social media fan bases I've ever encountered. Our DMs got flooded today with put some respect on Makai Clemens's name <laughs> posts. And then Dan Green is super fit posts watch out. So oh, these nice. people for whatever reason have amassed, you know, significant followings on social. Uh, they wanted to let single track know that they're fit and ready to go. So there's that. Second thing, we, we got some interesting fan mail. The first one was, <laughs> quote, <laughs> uh, conspiracy. Eric Sensman's retirement was a ruse. He will enter last minute and get a golden ticket to Western States. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> and also, like, the only race where that can happen is Black Canyon because Eric Sensman's, like, everything, like, everything he touches turns to gold at <laughs> Black Canyon 100 He's Mr. Black Canyon. Yeah, he uh, is Mr. Black Canyon. Another one was, uh, quote, two words, Hans Troyer. So <laughs> I, I, I mentioned him earlier. But just a couple uh, comments from me. You know, I, I did see earlier this year on social, you know, Ryan Montgomery in public said, I want to take a big step forward this year. Like I've had a lot of success in the sport the last year or two. 2024 is where I take an even bigger leap in the sport in terms of stature and, you know, how I kind of size up among the best this is a great opportunity. I, I think he's been ascendant. He's an extremely hard worker and he has proven, he proved to me last year that um, not only can he perform well, but he can resurrect when the going gets tough. Like Brett, I still can't get that image out of my mind from Michigan bluff last year when I thought oh, he was going to yeah. be enough and he just still came back. So Ryan is impressive and I'm very excited to see what he does. Um, 
the the second thing I'll say is, and I'm I'm not the right person to do it. I don't have the credibility, but I believe that John Ray is a superstar, and somebody with credibility has to go and anoint him a superstar because I think he has proved that he is. Um, and I worry that he is forever going to be an unanointed superstar in our sport. And he's just going to kind of <laughs> be on start lines and people are going to be like, yeah, he's like pretty solid. And, no, he's a superstar. What does this mean? Like, like someone had, like someone has to like knight him. I don't know. Or, I feel like there's always been a moment in the sport where like, why you know, can't it be you? Like, sorry. Why can't it be you? You can I'm be the one guy. to I'm just, anoint I'm just, him. I'm just, I'm just a fan. I'm just a guy. Like we need like a I don't, pro. We need like, you know, we need a pro to do it. Dude, if I'm John Ray and I'm listening to this, I'm like, dude, I don't want Finn to be applying any anointment to me anywhere. <laughs> That's, what I'm That's why I shouldn't do it. <laughs> and I don't even know what that means. But <clears throat> I think I think John's a stud. And uh yeah. So should we go to picks? Let's do it. All right, Brett, go ahead. Okay. Uh, how many did I write down? One, two, three, four, five, six. I wrote seven. Why? Um, because I, I wrote like a few, and then I was just like, okay, I'm going to write all the names that I think can be in the top five, and then I'll keep shuffling them around. That's nice. Okay. Um, and then I just didn't delete a few. But anyways, the winner, <laughs> to go along with like, Finn's jingle. The winner of the 2024 Black Canyon 100K will be Cole Watson. And again, unbiased coin flip, but also he had a garbage middle 10 miles from uh, just after Black Canyon City to before Table Mesa. He was throwing up, walk jogging, the chase pack caught up to him. You know, he was telling me later, he was like, dude, Laney saved my race. Laney caught up to me and was like, no, you got to start running with me. And like, he just kind of coached him back into it. And then all of a sudden Cole came back to life and he ran one of the fastest, like last splits from table Mesa to the finish still broke eight hours. Like eight hours was <laughs> sub eight was like a mythical time. Only Sage candidate had really ever done that. Um, the, I guess Hayden in 2020. mile he rose again. <laughs> Exactly. So it's like for Cole to have such a long stretch of like feeling bad and still run under eight hours and then to like learn from that and flip it around at canyons, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of things in Cole's head about like, okay, this is what I can do right because I did it last year. This is what I can fix. And I think he's learned a lot about just believing in his abilities to close a race hard because he had always been like, you know, um, the bridesmaid of good and golden tickets and like he would always make his move way too early because he wasn't patient enough but i think he's finally learning some of that patience and that's going to be one of those things where though you know like we said earlier the winner of the race is just getting decided later and later and you got to be patient you can't think you're going to draw people at mile 30 or even 35 so cole watson with the win and it's going to, this is going to be close. This is like a blanket finish. Like we might literally be kicking it in the last mile. I've got Johnny Ray in second, which is interesting because both of them are in Western States, you know, no golden tickets have been handed out yet. Rounding out the podium, I've got Hayden Hawks, which, you know, there's people right now like screaming at 
at trees and stuff as they're running, listening to this, being like, Brett, why the hell do you not have Hayden winning? And that's just because this is his first race back coming off F- coming off surgery. Like, it's just hard as much as you want to do that. Like, it's just hard to get the body to cooperate, you know. I think it's going to cooperate good enough to get a golden ticket, but winning the race, I'm not sure. Fourth place, Eric LaPuma. The Puma is going to defy the odds of course specificity because because he's good at running. Oh, my computer went to sleep. And then rounding out the top five, I've got Makai Clemens okay. in fifth. And then David Laney close sixth. I like him. David Laney in sixth, nice. Yeah, I mean, he got, um, what did he get, seventh last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a and, tough and runner, too. He, yeah, he's tough. His training's been pretty good. And like he also had a, like a five-mile section that was trash where he messed up his calories. And he had like zero calories from like miles 45 to 50 and just bonked so bad and then came back to life and closed super hard so it's like okay well clearly you can fix that from one year to the next so that's got to be a couple minutes right there which and i think in this race a couple minutes will mean multiple places wait does that does that mean you don't have john ray in your top five no i had him in second oh i wasn't listening (laughs) <laughs> I don't have John Ray in my top five, so now I'm just feeling all wow. problematic over here. Oh, so now, yay, we're finally disagreeing on something. All right. <laughs> I, I got to hear Leah's picks then. <laughs> what you got, Leah? What you got? Okay, I'm going to start from, well, I did six. Um, and yeah, somehow John Ray did, still didn't make mine, so maybe I'll regret my decisions. Um, number six, Dan Green. I liked how he ran Havelina. I feel like he really put himself out there and had a lot of confidence. So we'll see how that plays out at Black Canyon if he runs similarly. And I think Caleb Bowen's been, uh, yeah, messaging you, Finn. I don't know on some social media platforms. I know he trains with him and says he's even fitter coming into Black Canyon than he was Havelina. So I think that should be a recipe for success. I've got Eric Lapuma in fifth. We didn't talk much about Rod. I have Rod in fourth, and yeah. I feel like this is an unpopular opinion because I feel like both of you guys don't really have him in your top five. Um, I was looking at Hayden Hawk's training today when I was going through um, our people and I was like, dang, he's been putting in like these 20 hour weeks with biking and running and he seems very confident. I was like, he's got to be putting in some of the most volume of anybody. And then I looked at Rod on Strava on my browser, which gives you like cumulative training of all mediums. And Rod's been doing like 24 hours a week of training between skiing, running, biking. And I feel like, I mean, I've been following Rod for a while. I feel like this is his most like specific training he's ever done and like almost just like focused training he's ever done. And I want to remind our listeners that like he is extremely fast and at Canyon's 50K this year, he was coming back from injury and was right behind Jeshurun and Hayden in this 50K before getting lost a mile 27. Yeah. Um, so he was in the mix for podium spot with two of the guys that we consider probably are some of the fastest 50K runners in the States. So I think that combo of Rod's training, his focus, his desire to get back to Western States, I think we'll see him very much in the mix. And I have him in fourth. It's a good um, pick. He took yeah. fifth in 2019. It was a different era, but he took fifth. It was impressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he can put it together too. And I, I love how he races, just like super focused. And I feel like he's been really focusing on putting all the little pieces together the last year with like nutrition, hydration, electrolytes, things like that. So I think we'll see a great race out of him. He's um, just got to not get rhabdo. That too. He'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Drink, we got Cole Watson in third. 
And my only comments for that I have written here is the way he ran last year was so gutsy. I loved it. So <laughs> I want to see Cole do that again because I just feel like, yeah, Brett, like you mentioned, like he was kind of dead uh, for a little yeah. bit of a section there. And I saw him when I was on the live stream when he came into, I think it was Black Canyon City. Um, he looked horrible there. It was horrible. Yeah. And it was, he looked really hot and took some time to cool down. And I was like, his day is over. But if you go back and watch finish the finishing drone shots of Cole, it was wild. He was sprinting so fast. So I think he can turn it around, even if he is having a rough day out there. He took it out hot last year and like it pretty much stuck. So I think he'll do that again. Second place, I feel like the people are saying it. So I got to listen. I'm going with Makai Clemens. Um, I, he's got his JFK was impressive too. I don't know if you guys hit on that. He got mm -hmm. ran a 532 there. I think his San Diego didn't get the attention it really deserved. I'm assuming, I know that's probably a slightly different course than I think when Carl Meltzer ran the course record there. So I think that would stand probably as a course record these days. I think he's going to do something special. And I feel like he's kind of this like underdog of sorts coming into the race. So hopefully mm. I can see that represented in my finishing picks. And then I got Hayden Hawks. I just feel like he's seeming very confident. His training's been great. <clears throat> he dropped me so hard. So he's just... <laughs> I feel like he's going to do really well. I, I feel like normally, Brett, I'd be feeling like similarly to your picks, but I don't know. There's something about his training, his focus, and his confidence coming into this that I feel like he is kind of hard to bet against for this one. I'm I'm glad that we finally have some different picks. Yeah. Like that's, that's a good thing. That's a yeah. good thing. Good for the sport. I and mean, it's a good thing as long as I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, what one thing about Makai that I forgot to say. He is in for the Angelus Crest uh, 100 mile this year. Ooh, I saw that. Yeah. Which, like, that's just, so, that's kind of cool. I guess have. one thing that yeah. is kind of elusive to me is his training looks great and everything. He hasn't posted anything yet this week. So, he's mm. healthy. Interesting. Maybe he just hasn't synced. He's off the grid. He hasn't synced no. his watch. Yeah, true. It's Thursday, though. Yeah. Maybe he's just going dark. Yeah. I got to set some ambiance for my picks. I got to set the scene here. So I, I believe that, again, maybe my, the, the most bold pick I have for this episode is that the entire men's top 10 is going under eight hours. Weather dependent, like assuming we're not seeing like hurricane like conditions out there, I've got the whole entire top 10 going under eight hours. I believe that it's also going to be an extremely tight race. I think you're going to, we're going to see some amazing drone shots of final mile chases, you know, people grappling for the second spot, third spot, the win, et cetera. I think it's going to be theatrical. And I also believe that people are getting pushed limit. We're going to see people blowing chunks at the finish line. It's going to be, it's going to be all like over the studio. Old, all yeah. over the studio. All over I think it's going to be like, there's going to be, it's just gonna be glorious. With all of that said, <laughs> throw up ASMR. Glorious. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to see like, like we're, I'm talking like Jeff Browning versus Kyle Piatari chase downs on the track, Brittany Peterson versus Claire, like that kind of theatrics. It's going to be cool. That's my prediction. I want to, I'm going to wish that into existence. Uh, I got Cole Watson taking the win. I think Cole Watson is prime time. Cole Watson is prime time in the same way that I want to see the elevation of John Ray. I want to see the continued elevation of Cole Watson one of the most talented, the second most pure talented runner in this race besides Andrew Bumbala. Would you agree, Brett? I mean, he's definitely, there's, I mean, it's like the, what was it? Like Hayden, 
Nate Jukes, Cole yeah. Watson, Bumbleo. Yeah. Like all had those they all got speedy, speedy times. Cole's a um, beast. Is uh, Cole sponsored right now? Cole's a free agent right now. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe some of that Anthony Castalis uh unsponsored magical dust will roll up, you know, roll off onto Cole a little bit. Is he going to wear like a Rogue Valley Ranchero shirt? <laughs> I wish those existed. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what he's going to wear. Hopefully, something awesome. Charles I've got. Back. I've got Hayden Hawks in second. I've got John Ray in third. Makai Clemens four. Ryan Montgomery five. And I've got Eric Lapuma six. So we are going to see the ticket go all the way down to the sixth spot where Eric Lapuma is. And yeah, Hayden Hawks, Makai Clemens, and Puma are all heading to Western States. Cole's already in. John's already in. Ryan's already in. I'm going to add one more person because you mentioned Rod earlier. That was an amazing, that was an awesome mention. I've got Joey DeFeo in seventh. It means nothing in terms of golden tickets, but Joey DeFeo, I think, has a coming out party um, of high performance here at Black Cannon. He's had some really solid training in flag, uh, knows the course well, NAU guy. Loves the trails, loves the game, and uh, he's kind of my uh, out of left field pick. Is he is he like next generation cowboy? Maybe I think he's also cowboy adjacent. I think him and Makai are kind of like cowboy adjacent. I think you know, I mean, Joey paced Sensman at Cocodona two fifty, which is kind of cool. Like he's 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 in. okay, he's yeah. In so he's like, he's in the next gen, next gen cowboy, next gen cowboy. Um, are we on course record watch for the men's race? I think so. Yeah. You I think, think it'll happen? Mm, weather dependent, I think. I think Anthony and Tom push each other to a great time last year. I think the women's course record definitely has a little time to move down. Like normally when I look at course records, I think like men and women should be like roughly a minute per mile apart from each other. I think right now the men and women's for this race is like maybe 75 minutes apart from each other or something. I think the men's can go down a little bit, but probably not by much this year, if any. Yeah. I, I, I can see sub 740, yeah. but like, I mean, prior to Anthony, the course record was 752 by Sage Canada in 2016. So it had been like seven years before someone ran faster than, then Anthony just absolutely squashed it by and and beat the eventual western states champion so like you know i think if if you're if you're in that within shouting distance of that time you're you're immediately looking i gotta be winning western states well guys this has been an awesome episode for those that are listening those that are watching let us know what you think give us your picks give us your comments give us your questions hit us up on social at run single track i'll post brett and leah's social handles in the show notes as well and uh, yeah, we're all stoked about Black Canyon. Brett, any final thoughts from you before we go? Yeah, I mean, if if you have like, you know, any hot takes, comments, questions, concerns, um, just send them to the Run Single Track um, <laughs> Instagram page <laughs> instead of mine or Leah's. <laughs> yeah, I just send all the criticisms Finn's way. <laughs> yeah. What you got, Leah? Anything? Any final words? Oh, not really. I just think um, this is going to be a really exciting year. I think if you're running this race, uh, reach out to us. Tell us what you'll be wearing so we can give you the appropriate shout out on the live stream. Really hard to identify faces. Mm-hmm. 
printing by us extremely fast out there. I know there's a lot of names we did not mention today. I think it just speaks to the depth of this race this year. And like there's 30 women, there's, you know, 30 plus men who are in the battle for these golden tickets and these podium spots. So yeah, just know that's there's a lot of you guys out there and I'm sure it's going to be fire on race day. I'm excited to see you guys in a couple of weeks. <laughs>